0: Hello, and welcome to the Writers and Illustrators of the Future podcast. This is John Goodwin, your host. This podcast is dedicated to the aspiring writer or artist, and will provide inspiration and tips from top professionals in the field, along with contest winners. And here we are at the tail end of the Writers of the Future week for 2022, and I've got Illustrated of the Future winner from volume 30, Michael Talbot, who has been here helping uh, to teach the workshop, and he himself is a is a very established freelance illustrator welcome Michael
1: thank you for having me Hello
0: hello so you're you work out of Boston
1: yeah, I'm currently based in Boston um originally from Jamaica uh, so yeah
0: cool so uh in volume thirty he illustrated shifter by by Paul Eckhart. And then in this volume, volume thirty-eight, he illustrated the professor was a thief, which was the story from Elrond Hubbard that was in there. So, I guess the first thing I'm interested in in knowing is your trajectory as an illustrator from out of the mother's womb into winning the the contest in um, eight years ago.
1: Sure. Um so it's funny you mentioned out of the mother's womb. so uh as a kid, I was very you know shy and I would be uh reserved and introverted so i'd instead of uh going outside and playing with my brothers and like the kids in the neighborhood i'd be inside just drawing by myself, and my mom would see this, and like she'd buy me coloring books and sit down with me and like teach me how to color within the lines and stuff so uh from a very early age, she nurtured that uh, i guess creative side uh in me. And uh, it just became my safe space, just something that I've always fallen back on. Um, And uh, I've done that throughout high school. And at that point, I had a choice to either uh, go the art route and pursue uh, my career in art or uh, pursue my other passion, which is zoology. Uh, not a lot of people know that about me, but um, yes, I'm I very interested in animals and reptiles and stuff. So um, I had that choice to make and uh, I figured, well, half the people already know me for my art. So like most of the work is already done at that point. So I decided to go with art first. Um, and so I went, I finished high school um, and I migrated to the States with my uh, parents And um, started college in Boston at Lesley University, Mm -hmm. and um, decided I wanted to study illustration and graphic design. And uh, my freshman year, I figured you know the tuition is is pretty pretty spendy, so I figured I'd need some scholarships or you know some way of helping out uh, with the tuition. And uh, as I was looking for scholarship opportunities and competitions stumbled upon uh, writers and illustrators of the future, and that's how I entered.
0: Wow, that's a cool story there. So did you win on your first entry? I did. Wow.
1: I did win on my first entry. Um, truth be told, uh, after I entered, I completely forgot about the competition um, until I got the call that I was one of the winners. And it still took me a while to realize what uh, I believe what it was you had won. Yeah, it was like what they were talking about on the phone. I was like, wait, what do you mean I've won? I don't know what you're talking about. Um, but yeah, once once uh, I realized, I was, was definitely surprised and ecstatic.
0: That's great. So then, so you came out to Hollywood. Was it in Hollywood? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you came up to Hollywood. So what was that week like? Um, it was
1: jam-packed with uh, things that I, I never would have thought I'd experienced in uh, a million years, essentially, like uh, meeting uh, top names in the industry, meeting established illustrators, um, like-minded artists who were just like very talented, and just being able to experience just great energy and great Mm -hmm. talent all in one place. Um, It was definitely life-changing. And I don't say that lightly, um, because it it, even though I knew I wanted to do illustration, it uh, opened my eyes in terms of, like, the possibilities and how um, actual and real it could be and, like, the steps that I could take to get there. So, yeah.
0: Oh, good. Do you remember any particular um, standouts of the... Illustrator judges that were there or speakers? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, there was Cliff Nielsen.
1: Uh, when I, once I met him and realized that he was the, the illustrator for the Narnia Chronicles book covers, I was, I was shocked. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I definitely grew up with those. So, like, realizing that he was there and seeing him there and, like, being able to interact with him and, like, talk with him and pick his brain, it was, it was real nice.
0: That's great. So what was, for you, the biggest takeaway From the workshop when you attended that, or the gala, or just that week? Mm -hmm.
1: I knew I wanted to, at the very least, network. Like, grow my network, meet people, expand my, I guess, base of who I'm in contact with. Uh, Because one thing I realized early on was that even though I may be talented, even though I may uh, apply for jobs and, you know, be able to do my job well... Having a, a, a solid network or having those connections and referrals, that has helped me since then, like, grow and uh, reach areas that I initially n- would not be able to. So, like, uh, I went in knowing that I wanted to increase my network, mm-hmm. connect with people, and not just superficial, like, actually be able to sit down with them, talk with them, um, get help from them, and maybe even help somebody else.
0: That's great. So now, I know you're working in college, because you're obviously now very successful as a freelance illustrator and Mm -hmm. getting more popular. Did you finish the college? Were you able to do that? So were you able to finish that? So I was
1: able to finish college. I did a A five-year program. Yeah, BA. Um, Double majored with illustration and design and minored in animation. So I tried to do everything that I could while (laughs) I was there. And I did not go for my master's. However, after I graduated, I still was called back to teach um, at said university. So I was teaching there for three years.
0: Wow. Uh, So you must have done did good. Yep. (laughs) Whether or not I thought it, the the evidence was there. Yeah. So on the type of art that you create, Mm -hmm. so do you do mostly like, is it Photoshop or is it Acrylic? Is it oil? Is Mm -hmm. it Yeah, sure.
1: Um, so I do a mixture of both. I do I work uh on uh, digital pieces in Photoshop uh for like a lot of the freelance jobs that I have, mainly because it's quicker and um it's easier to do edits and stuff um
0: with that. However, I also don't like that yellow. Okay, how about orange? Yeah, I do like that orange. Okay, how about green? Ah Exactly. Exactly. Uh.
1: Um, if we tried that with uh, traditional work, that that would be a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> However, uh, for more of my personal work or like, I guess, art pieces that I don't necessarily have a tight deadline on where I'd want to enjoy the process more and like take my time, um, I tend to go more traditional. So I work um, in acrylics, uh, markers, pen and ink. I also use paint markers. So it's like acrylic based, but um, essentially it allows me to get that clean outline graphic look that I tend to
0: work in a lot. I get it. And so what type of, um, what's your most common freelance work that you do? Um, Right now,
1: I would say the most common freelance work that I do is uh, children's books. So uh, funny enough, I got my first children's book gig uh, as a result of uh, writers and illustrators of the future, how uh, so? Um, so the author uh, was looking specifically for a Jamaican illustrator, <laughs> and that was one of the, I guess, selling points uh, in one of the publications following the the event. And um, they reached out to, well, before they reached out to me, they looked me up and they found uh, the video of the of, of the, the, awards? the award ceremony. And since then, they're like, "Yep, that's that's the illustrator that I need." and uh, they got in contact with me. Um, I did did the book. It was great, and uh, it kind of snowballed into like other people seeing the work that I did and know knew that I worked on children's books. So they reached out for more children's book work and so on and so forth.
0: Wow, that's, do you know B. Jackson? Yes,
1: yes. B. Jackson is amazing. She was there as as an alumni in the same position that I am uh, here today. Uh, when I was a winner eight years ago, uh, so she came back um, and she spoke with us, showed her work, um, and I got connected with her and since then i 've actually been um, in contact with her uh, on social media we 've like done Instagram live streams together we 've talked about our work, showed her
0: work and stuff, so we definitely keep in contact oh that 's great that 's great yeah, she's when she got the NAACP when she when she did the um, the children's book that she did on Michelle Obama. Yeah. Uh, Parker Looks Up. Parker Looks Up. Uh, she was a finalist in the NAACP, um, mm-hmm. whichever word it was. So she came out and I was her plus one. That was a lot nice. of fun that night. That nice. was a lot of fun. So now you've gotten so good that we asked you to uh, illustrate The Professor Was a Thief, um, that story about Warren Hubbard in this year's volume, and to invite you out here to speak to the, to the class. So... What'd you talk about? What was the thing that they are interested in? What were your, you know, just some of stuff you were you're discussing and showing and doing and whatnot? Yeah, sure. Um uh, so um I'll start it off by saying that I was
1: kind of surprised when I was asked to do a workshop because I felt like I wasn't that much different from the winners for this current volume. Um, seeing just the the amount of talent and the skill that everybody possessed, I felt that like I shouldn't be in the position where I'm... Imposter syndrome. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, the the good old imposter syndrome. But then the more I just, like, interacted with them and, like, got to know them, I realized it's, it's not necessarily I'm in the position of, of being a, a workshop leader and, like, they're the winners. It's more of just from one artist to another talking about our process or life or journey and seeing how uh, the experiences that I have could possibly help them. And so essentially that's what I did. I had initially planned like a whole talk about, okay, you know, this is how you do like a composition, like how you would prepare an illustration for a children's book. And as I started, I... Almost completely threw that away. It was more so of just like me talking about my journey, my experiences, um, and it seemed like that connected with them more. And like it was they were,
0: definitely my, my feedback that I've gotten from is that yeah, that was really a good
1: connection. Yeah, and like they're just asking a lot of questions, which was really good. Like,
0: I love the engagement, um, and it seems like it was well received. So yeah, I'm that, happy about that. That's that's great on that. Yeah, we've got um, not so much on the writer side, but on the illustrator, the subject of it. You know, it's illustrators of the future mm-hmm. and cover illustration and, and um, inside illustrations is a very legitimate form of illustration, but like, art has spread so much more since mm-hmm. the inception of the contest. Yeah. You know, with, and, it, and it's been good because we've had a, a pretty good variety of judges and people talking about different things, mm-hmm. but it's a real trick keeping up with what's happening right now. <laughs> yeah. In the art world and Mm. illustration, you know, because it's not just book illustration, cover illustration, but you've got all the uh, sequential art, you know, the whole thing of doing the comics and graphic novels. Definitely. There's uh, all the 3D stuff that gets done. Modeling and So many modeling on so many things. You got the gaming, which is just massive right now. There's such an explosion of of talent that's needed for that. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've got some of our judges that have, have designed... Theme parks, you know, yeah. that's the whole area of expertise. Yep. You know, and then you've got, like, what Echo does, you know, the stuff with so many uh, corporate, you know, programs that she work with and provide the art for, on from Celestial Seasons to, I think, Anna Asa Bush, and Countries. I mean, just all over, you know, there's yeah. so many different things to it. So having somebody to represent all the different aspects of art is different than storytelling, mm-hmm. you know. So... What's your take on that in terms of, like, to make a successful illustrator workshop for today's needs of the upcoming artist? Um, I think it, I'll, I'll, I'll answer this
1: in a way that uh, I've approached my art. As I mentioned, uh, in college, I studied illustration, design, and animation. And I knew I wanted to go uh, the illustration route. But I recognized that it was still important and beneficial to study design and animation to help supplement illustration. So similarly, having a a broader spectrum or a broader reach and a a wider experience base um, will definitely help supplement and help uh, give different avenues and different viewpoints on how to approach a specific problem that uh, an illustrator might not think about normally. Mm -hmm so having judges and having people who have experience in experiences in all these different different areas and different um sectors and different businesses i feel that is is very pivotal mm-hmm. and helpful in like nurturing
0: the the the
1: artists of today
0: so then with respect to an artist so again now like revisit this thing on because somebody likes, I really, all I want to do is paint. Mm-hmm. I just want to paint, you know, and it's like Larry Elmore. That's all he wants to do is paint. Yeah. You know, he's got his oils and he does that and he doesn't do anything else. You mm-hmm. know, that's what he does. So he's gone through various things he had to do, but now that he's in his golden years as an artist, he's mm-hmm. he no longer has to do something in order to make his living and now he's just like, okay, I'm done working for other people. I just want to work for myself. I'm going to paint. I guess that's, okay to do at the end of one's career say okay I'm going to settle down and do this Mm. but right now for a person getting started in art as a career what are some tips that you would that you that you could provide yeah sure Um, so I would say if you have a dream
1: or a goal this is one advice that I like to give to people if you have a dream or a goal uh, whether or not you're able to pursue it or achieve it right now never forget it keep it in mind and bear it in mind because that will help determine and drive your actions. And even if it's only working towards it little by little, you're still getting some work done to it. Um, a lot of people, uh, if when they realize that they're un- they're unable to work towards a dream or a goal or achieve it right now, they give up or they say, all right, you know, I can't do this right now. So they just completely forget it. And uh, I feel like that definitely cuts off a lot of opportunities right now and in the future by just writing it off. Um, so bearing it in mind while understanding and realizing that you know you might be in a position that is not uh, suitable for us right now and being uh, true to yourself in that regard, but still holding yourself accountable and realizing that this isn't the end of the road in that regard. I can always come back to it. Mm -hmm. and uh by doing so you can explore other opportunities and keep by keeping it in mind you can see how doing a different job or exploring a different path may help in your current dream in some other facet that you probably didn't realize
0: okay i get it so the idea of persistence Mm -hmm. how does that fit into this mix this the same way, you know, <laughs> yeah,
1: persistence in the sense of not giving up on that dream, not giving up on that goal or that idea, and persistence is oftentimes um, confused with stubbornness, and stubbornness is the like you're unwilling to change or try different paths. Mm-hmm. Persistence. Means that you're continuing that same path, and it doesn't discredit or it doesn't prevent you from exploring other options at the same time,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? So, in that sense, persistence is key. It will help you. It, it is a vital and a beneficial uh, character trait. But it's when it becomes stubbornness that a lot of people find problems, um, or it's when like it's completely void or not there, that people will, like, lose sight of what they want.
0: Okay. So you have your art, artistic integrity, mm-hmm. which directs, like, this is the only way this can be expressed. You're you're freelancing, and you've been hired by somebody to mm-hmm. paint this thing here, and you're like, no, this is how it needs to be. And the auction director says, no, it needs to be this other way. mm mm-hmm. And you're going, no, it should be this way. Can you talk about that? The, yeah, sure. The, uh...
1: um, so uh, there is uh, there's a level of uh, sacrifice, I will say, um, when it comes to working with other people or working on client work. So in terms of artistic integrity, you would hope that a client hires you because they recognize your artistic integrity or they recognize your artistic vision, um, and they would um, respect that and you know, look forward to that input within the process of creating the artwork. Um, But in the sense of uh, where there's a disagreement in terms of like, you feel like this should be expressed in a certain way um, while the client feels uh, differently. I think communication is key in that regard where uh, not just saying that it should be this way, explain why, explain how it's more beneficial to uh, represent it in a certain way versus how uh, they might view it or want it. Mm -hmm. Say, all right, this might not be good because so-and-so, or this might be better because so-and-so. But if you're butting heads and say, no, my preference is this, and they're like, no, I want it this way. This is what me as the client wants. You are doing work for them. So ultimately, there is that level of sacrifice where you will have to essentially give in or decide that you don't want to work with them. But um, in my opinion, I think like it there needs to be that level of communication and understanding mm-hmm. between the artist and the client and being able to express effectively why you have this agreement.
0: Okay, that's a good answer on that. Because I've seen people, you know, I'm going to argue, I'm going to hold my position because I got my integrity on it, but yet you said the client's the one that's paying for it. Yeah. You know? And you have that thing like, well, they're hiring me because of my skill and my vision, but yeah, they're hiring me because they want your skill, but Mm -hmm. they want their vision. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And if at some point it just becomes too much to to bear, you you can just not do the work. You can terminate a contract. You can decide that, okay, this goes against not just my artistic vision, but if it's against either your morals or whatever else, that is an option as well to just Mm -hmm. not do the work. Have you ever had to do that yourself? Um, not to that extent, but yes, I have turned down work uh, because I've uh, either noticed or realized before we've gotten into it whether or not it would line up with uh, either my morals or whether or not it would line up with um, my vision of like how I want to promote
0: myself and my work. Right. Okay. That that sounds cool. Now, have you ever had? obstacles yourself that you had to overcome to I mean obviously it's not been smooth sailing all along. Yeah. So, what's have you ever come close to throwing in the towel on your art? No. Okay.
1: That that yeah. There's I don't think there's there has been anything in my life that has uh been so drastic that I would give up on such a big part of myself.
0: I get. Yes, so, I mean, Max has that story, too. I mean, she had teachers in school there in Turkey mm-hmm. who told her, I hope you fail.
1: Because mm-hmm. she
0: wasn't doing the traditional what you're supposed to do in Turkey. She was doing yeah. her art, you know. Have you ever had stuff like that where you had people that just, like, wished you ill? Thankfully, no. <laughs> Good. Um,
1: I would say the, the, uh, the art curriculum within my time in Jamaica was not very developed, it's, it's still a work in progress right now. I've seen like there, uh, the, the island itself is making um, an effort to develop it some more, but it's still nowhere close to where it needs to be and mm-hmm. where, I guess, our curriculum in America or most other countries are. And regardless of that, I've had many professors and mentors who um, recognize uh, not necessarily my skill or talent, but my passion and decided to nurture that, um, regardless of whether or not uh, I would "quote unquote" make it as an artist in Jamaica. They just recognized the passion and nurtured it, that passion. So, and, very I mean, thankful
0: you, for that. Yeah, there, there's no way you can turn out somebody that wears the most awesome bow ties of all. Yeah. <laughs> <different kinds. laughs> yeah. So now you illustrated the professor was a thief. Mm-hmm. So I've I've spoken to various old timer. Illustrators who actually like Frank Kelly Fries, mm-hmm. Will Eisner, who had illustrated Owen Hubbard's stories back when they first were written. Mm-hmm. And they had, they definitely had a, for them, it was so easy to illustrate his stories because he, it was so vivid mm-hmm. mental pictures that, yeah. that his stories would evoke. What's your, you know, what, your, having done it, so what's your experience or what's your comments on illustrating Owen Hubbard's story? Illustrating Professor Was a Thief was, uh,
1: Definitely a fun experience, mainly because the story was, it was—it didn't follow the same, uh, I guess, pattern of like, okay, you have a hero and a villain. And totally like broke your trope. A bad guy. Yeah. It was more of, more so of like, these are complex characters who have a wide range of motives. It's just how their stories overlapped and it, it creating this, this wild experience. Mm-hmm. So uh, the quote unquote antagonist was this. Also, relatable, timid, personable uh, like professor. And so it was interesting to to, to kind of take a step back and move away from the tropes of, okay, I'm gonna do this like either action uh, scene or like work on like you know good versus bad or something like that, and more so, figure out how to capture that essence of a complex yet fun hodgepodge, essentially mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of characters. And I, I think it, it, was, it, it really provided a nice visual for
0: yeah. me. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, you did amazing. And for those listening to this thing, it's in Writers of the Future Volume 38, this um, illustration you did for The Professor Was a Thief, which is just a, a real fun illustration that you did. So, when you did your workshop or ext- attending this workshop here, are there any particular Elwynn Hubbard essays or articles that he wrote that resonate with you? Yeah, sure.
1: Um, there was one in his book uh, titled "Art," I believe mm-hmm. it was, about artist communication, essentially, and how the technical aspect of creating the art shouldn't exceed or surpass the effectiveness of the communication for the piece that you're working on. And what does that mean? And in- yeah, essentially, what's first and foremost important is how you communicate the essence of the piece, like what you're trying to say, how you're trying to connect with the audience, what are the themes you're trying to express. As artists, we tend to uh, really hyper-focus on one tiny element. Let's say, for example, you're doing an environment and like there's one leaf that you're putting all the detail in, and you're, you're zooming in and you're just painting and doing all the lighting correctly and stuff, but you're forgetting the whole, the rest of the piece. Unless that leaf is the focal point, unless that leaf is actually what you're trying to communicate in the piece, everything else needs to be done either at the same level of uh, technical skill or it those um, not unimportant but lesser or secondary uh, elements should be toned down so that the the main, I guess theme or the main purpose that you want to try and communicate shines through.
0: Right. Okay, good. And um, there's this story I heard. Maybe you can fill me in on it. Okay. Galleries. Mm-hmm. Having galleries and preparing for galleries. Mm-hmm. And you being competitive.
1: <laughs> I see where this is good. Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, so, as I mentioned, I, I grew up in Jamaica. I went to high school there. And uh, my best friend from high school in Jamaica, his name is Richard Natu. Essentially, we we both went through the art curriculum together um he was a a dear close friend uh, of mine and so you know we we kept on pushing each other you know encouraging each other and like trying to you know just grow in our artistic talents Mm -hmm. and after i moved to the states uh he stayed in jamaica and went to school for architecture while i went to school for art Mm -hmm. however as he was studying architecture he was still producing art and so he was putting on shows, he was creating work and selling them. And so I, I definitely felt a bit challenged in mm-hmm. that regard, mm-hmm. where I felt I should be doing more if, like he's not studying art yet, he's doing more art-related things and being more successful than me. And it wasn't in the sense of like, I was uh, upset that I wasn't performing as well as him or upset that he was surpassing me. It was uh, motivation and inspiration. For me to do as well as him, and to you know produce work as well, so that I can uh, share it with him and show right. it with him. And so since then, we've we've had this friendly competition. I call him my art rival and arch nemesis, essentially. <laughs> so like anytime he does a, a project, he would show it to me and like tell me about it, and that would inspire and motivate me to go and do a project so that I can bring it back to him and tell him about it. And so on, forth so forth, and so on. Like he would, he'd just take that, and it would be a, a constant cycle of motivation and inspiration. And I guess recently, uh, well, actually, uh, back in 2019, uh, he uh, in January he called me out on Twitter. He, he made a post uh, announcing an exhibition that he was uh, planning to put on. And he called me out and said, Hey, Michael, you know, I'm putting on this show. Make sure you have a show as well. So he like he challenged me to an art exhibition showdown, essentially. Hmm. So uh the aim was to have a completely new body of work, all new pieces based on like or different story ideas. The show had to be titled the same thing. The shows had to have happen on the same dates, and I should have it in Boston while he has it in Jamaica. And essentially, it wasn't necessarily to show whose exhibition would be more successful. It was more so to push us to get to that next level and right. actually like, improve as artists. And we ended up having multiple shows throughout the year. Um, I had three. He had about uh, four or five. And that was the most work I've ever produced in such a short time. <laughs> and yet, it's, I think that was my most successful year as an artist. Um, and similarly, this year as well. Um, I noticed that he was uh putting on a bunch of shows uh, since the fall he had put on four or five different shows and but I yeah that's not his main main line of work uh no it is oh now it is yeah, okay, got it so got he it. he he uh after he finished school for architecture, he got a job as an architect, but then he quit his job and now uh, he's a full time freelance, <laughs> freelance artist as well yeah. <laughs> so and he's very successful so like i'm I'm super proud and happy about that but again it's that constant inspiration motivation to improve and get to the next level so that we can kind of pay forward that cycle but yes so since the fall he had put on four or five shows and i realized like okay i haven't put on the show in a while i can't be left in the dust by Mm -hmm. him so um that pushed me to work on a whole new body of work again uh, essentially paying homage to him and like the work that i've seen him done and so i've again produced uh, like 17 new pieces within one month and now I have a show up in Boston currently as I'm here in LA uh, called Salvation Redux um, exploring works that uh, is inspired by his uh, previous exhibitions
0: wow that's pretty good was there something here where you knew he was going to produce a lot so you did more than what you see he was going to do then it came out that he did
1: oh yes yeah definitely uh we <laughs> uh with the show back in uh twenty nineteen we we both kind of uh estimated that we'd each do around twenty pieces or so um and just twenty pieces for one show, and I took that and uh, under the choir, I was like, okay, well, if he's gonna do twenty and he's been doing so much other work, like I have to you know up my game, I have to kind of outshine him essentially. And so I ended up doing three shows in fifty three pieces, and <laughs> he definitely blew me out of the water like over two hundred pieces <laughs> so <laughs> yeah it 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 really is an interesting time. He keeps me on my toes, but it's it's a fun time
0: that's great now how much how important is it in general for art or at least for you to have someone to push you and to have that give you that urge to do better or is that an important thing to have that something to to spark you not just your own yeah. internal voice saying do more but to mm-hmm. actually have mm-hmm. something out there in the world yes definitely i i feel that uh having that external push
1: or ex- that external motivation is key and uh very very helpful and beneficial to growing as an artist not everyone has that Uh, Internal motivation and drive. And even though uh, art might be a passion, um, we might not always feel that passion or it might not always be expressed. Um, Having someone to uh, push you, but also someone to encourage you and to like walk you through things like brainstorm ideas, help figure out uh, different ways of... um, figuring out, uh, setting up shows or approaching a piece, mm-hmm. um, solving a different problem, uh, having di- uh, uh, another set of eyes to look on something and give you feedback is, is very pivotal and key in terms of like growth uh, that you
0: as a singular, isolated individual might not be able to provide yourself. That makes sense. Now, how important is it to, before we even discuss art, to make sure you have yourself a safe place in order to create your art. Like, can you go anywhere? Like, okay, I'm gonna go into a subway station. Just okay. I have. A, I'm gonna sit here on the thing, and I'm gonna do my art. You know, just mm-hmm. having a safe place, a safe space to to do your art. How important is that as a as a preliminary? Um,
1: I think that definitely varies uh, between individuals. Some people are, I guess, more outgoing and relaxed and uh, comfortable with I guess the world around them mm-hmm. while others are uh, can be introverted closed off um, isolated but also timid and shy uh, where I guess public eyes or uh, people who are unfamiliar to them are, are more of a hindrance in terms of mm-hmm. like the creation process and or the creative process and so uh, depending on the individual having that, uh, space where that safe space where mm-hmm. they can actually sit down and say, all right, it's just me and this art. And um, I can d- express however I want to express without judgment, without um, critique, without anything. It's just a, a, a raw flow of creative energy, essentially. That, that definitely is pivotal and helpful for uh, an individual like that. While others uh, can tend to feed off of that uh, uncertainty that mm-hmm. that uh, excitement of, I guess, the public are not knowing how people are going to uh, interpret things, or desiring not necessarily conflict but controversy within their art and how they're going to take it or not want to take it, you know. And so, uh, as I mentioned, yeah, it's it's going to depend on on the the individual or, or
0: the artists themselves. I get. It. Have you ever gone through a period where you didn't want to show your art to somebody because you were afraid of, of criticism? Um, I don't
1: believe so. And I think that's mainly in part due to my friend Natu. Since, I guess, uh, I've been, been friends with him for years now, and I've always shown my work to him, we've always done art together, uh, whether or not I'm showing it with to other people, I've pretty much always shown it to him so that has i've had practice essentially Mm -hmm. talking about my art and showing it to at least one person so expanding that and showing it to a a wider audience was much easier or it came easier to me because i already had that uh i guess point of reference
0: right now you've obviously had considerable drive all your life to be an artist Mm. so for somebody who's out there who's aspiring to be an artist mm. and maybe doesn't have that drive, any tips of how somebody can like better zero in on that drive to to shed themselves of those things that distract from that? Um, that is hard.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, there is no. I, I personally, I don't know if there's any easy way to do that. It might always be a challenge. But I think, uh, again, as I mentioned, uh, remembering and keeping your goals in mind and your passions uh, in mind and not forgetting that. Whether or not you feel the drive and the motivation now, once you keep it in mind, there will be a time when that spark will happen. And I think that's like once you notice or being aware of that is key, that you can jump on it and latch on it and... Act
0: on it. Yeah, that makes that makes good sense. And then with, because I know that artists in general, you got mm-hmm. actors, you got storytellers, you've got you know painters and illustrators. Sometimes you can have these um, these soul suckers that can latch on to you. Yes. Have you experienced that at all? Oh yeah, yeah. Um,
1: both in just the, I guess general audience. Uh, and also clients and i think it, it's very very important to be able to recognize that early on whenever you're either showing your work to somebody who's like that or um being approached by someone who wants to work with you who might be like that um how can you tell them
0: for you for your own yeah opinion. yeah yeah
1: i guess in the sense of like uh just being honest and saying if uh if the soul sucking essentially is whether through, uh, like you're not seeing it being a, a, a beneficial working environment, or if you feel that they, they don't line up with again, your morals or ethics or your vision for the art that you want to produce, you can just tell them like, Hey, I appreciate you reaching out to me about this. Um, at, for the time being, I don't think this lines up with my artistic vision. Uh, if you want, I can get you in contact with somebody else or pass you on to another client. And you
0: don't really have to explain beyond that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So, um, see, sometimes you can be, someone can, can have a, a legitimate criticism or, I wouldn't even say criticism, but just a concern about something. How can you distinguish between someone with a concern and someone who's just a jerk and means you know well, yeah. you know, and is just trying to soul suck you?
1: Yeah. Um, I think it's it's less about uh, being able to tell whether they're a jerk or if it's genuine criticism and being able to understanding how to accept criticism. Uh, whether or not it line. I don't think any, like all criticism will line up with your vision and with your intention, with your art and stuff, but being able to isolate what they're saying, figure out why they're saying it, whether through asking them to explain further or to uh, just pick it apart and say, all right, I can kind of see how they're getting um, this point to this point and then deciding whether or not you want to implement it. Criticism or receiving criticism does not necessarily mean that you have to use or implement everything that you get. It might not be pretty when you get bad criticism, but again, you are in charge of your art in that regard where you can decide whether or not to apply or
0: implement said criticism. I got it. For yourself as as an artist, when you agree to do something, do you do do you always do a contract?
1: Um I try to do that now, yes. Uh initially I did not. Did you handshake? And, uh, not even a handshake. It was over the phone or through text. And I have learned over the years, uh, through uh, either hard experience or uh, through recommendation, to uh, always, even if it's just something very quick and like short, to have some form of contract uh, written out where there's a, a written or documented
0: agreement. So seems like you've been there done that so with yeah. what you just said there so what what would be an example of what happened that maybe you didn't learn your lesson the first time but the second time or third time so like what actually mm-hmm. happened what was that scenario um i'm sure for somebody's aspiring like some they want me to do something they're saying they'll give me 25 dollars if i do this yeah
1: um so uh there is a there are two two different ways we can take this. One is the way that most people would expect the pay the payment contracts help a lot in that regard. Where, as an artist, I would always uh, encourage someone to uh, accept some form of down payment or deposit beforehand uh, before doing an uh, a freelance gig because it definitely isn't as uh, certain as most other like jobs or company, mm-hmm. or business um, uh, projects. So having in writing that, all right, before you even start the project, there needs to be a deposit of this amount or this percentage. And then uh, at different either, either different milestones or upon completion, you will have the rest of the amount paid. Having that in writing will be able to hold not just you but them accountable. To getting the work done on time and hitting these check marks and these milestones, and then getting the payment on time so that both parties are happy with the outcome. Right. The other one is in the sense of like the agreement on the final product. So, uh, as an artist, you know, you can do something and you feel like it's the best thing ever. And then the client is like, no, this is not what I want. If it's agreed upon on the contract beforehand, can refer back to that and say well actually it was this is exactly what you asked for this is exactly what i gave you what you're asking for now are different edits or a different complete different design we'll need to rework the contract and um, sign it again and then approach it that way or if they have uh, or if you agree on like a certain amount of edits so say for example uh, you do the work, you have the final work uh, presented, and you have up to three edits to make. And uh, if the so client... So you, what you
0: do is three. Yourself, is your, your standard is... Um,
1: it, it definitely varies from project to project. Okay. But I would say like three to five non, non-major uh, edits. And so if the, the client ends up um, exceeding that or wanting to exceed that, then you have the ability to say, all right, you know, per the contract you agreed upon, you know, this amount of edits. Any additional edits will occur, additional charges. And that will help the artist not be taken advantage of uh, by uh, clients who might just want to, you know, I guess keep them in their pocket essentially and uh, soul suck.
0: Right. Someone says, oh yeah, that's exciting. Can you do this and this? And you say, sure, I'll do that. And okay, you need to pay me $500. Sure, no problem. And then you do it and then you don't see any money. Um. Yes. That has happened to me in the <laughs> oh, past no. before.
1: Um, funny enough, I think my first book job before even uh, this competition, it was to uh, format a book and uh, do the book cover and everything. And I did it. And I did not see the money from that. I Months would pass, a year would pass, and I'd reach out to them. I wouldn't get any reply. And then more months would pass and I'd get, like, a small deposit or percentage of the money. And then I wouldn't hear back from them again. And, like, things, it just, to this day, I just wasn't paid in full. So to prevent that, <laughs> I um, I either asked for the deposit ahead of time mm-hmm. so that at the wor- very worst case scenario, I have already gotten either half the amount or a percentage of the amount. Or... What is, I guess, more recommended is that um, you have the, the deposit ahead of time, and then upon completion of the work, uh, the client pays the remainder before you hand over the, the final files. So that way, you know, you guarantee that you get your full payment, and at that time, the exchange is made.
0: Okay. Now, I'm a newbie. I really want my work out there. I feel like I've got something to contribute. Mm-hmm. And that makes me certain prey for the uh the shyster, the guy that's gonna want to take advantage of you for free doing something or doing something so cut rate, but you're desperate. I gotta get something. I need something to put in my portfolio, mm-hmm. you know, that I've sold my work. So at what point should a person kind of go, it's not worth it, versus okay, I'm just starting out, I need to get something and and start building up um, Mm -hmm. a reputation. Um, But not a reputation is a sucker.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think that that's a a hard question to answer because having that mindset of I'm a newbie and I'm just starting out and I want to break into the world is already diminishing yourself as an artist or diminishing yourself and your talent. So instead of thinking of I'm a newbie, think of yourself as I'm an artist. What are the rates within the industries that I want to get into and start from there? How are people within the industry approaching things and start from there? So it's it's a reframing of the mindset from I'm a newbie to what are uh, things that are implemented or already out there that I can implement in my practice. And I think uh, it's It really does boil down to how you market yourself uh-huh. and how you present yourself to others, right? So social media helps. It, there's a plethora of social media platforms right now. And if you want to, I guess, connect with people and to like get your work in front of their eyes, go on social media. Meet people. Network as much as you can. Reach out to artists that you know or see and say, hey... I'm I'm an artist as well. I do so-and-so type of work. I'm interested in getting into this industry. I see that you are already established in this field. I see you've done work for that. Are there any pointers that you might have for me? Or um, would you be able to point me in the right direction and stuff like that? Reaching out to other artists Mm -hmm. and networking that way will definitely help uh, you avoid some of the, the pitfalls and the downfalls like right off the bat. Um, but I think it's it's important to re- reframe that mindset of i'm a, a beginner and start thinking I'm an artist who's interested in this
0: field wow, that's that's a really good answer, and it's not one I was expecting. so that's great and, <laughs> and that. so how important is it to you to like pay forward you know to help other guys as compared to just focusing in your career? um well, short answer, I think it's is extremely important. In
1: terms of how that might look or how it's expressed, uh, they are very varying different ways. As I mentioned, uh, after I graduated, I uh, taught at my university for three years. Um, Teaching isn't my passion, I can say, but I realized that it was beneficial to not just me, but to the students who I was teaching. Mm -hmm. And so, like, if I could, yes, I taught. But I realized I wanted to focus more on the work that I was producing. And by being able to do that, I can pay it forward and lead by example in that sense. Um, I realized I teach or relay information better through demoing or by doing the work. Mm -hmm. So I've done a lot of Instagram lives where I'd be uh, videoing and live streaming while I'm drawing and while I'm doing.
0: I have I think
1: I've seen one or two of them. I was there. Yeah. Yeah. And I essentially open up the floor for all the viewers to either join the live or like ask questions about what I'm working on. And I'm able to explain the process that I'm doing, um, give them a glimpse into like the world of a working freelance illustrator, like what goes within, into a project and stuff like that. So paint it forward in that regard is how I've, found, uh, uh, I guess, a way to express that
0: for me. Now, you came out here and you actually taught, I can't say the kids because... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most of them are older than me, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what was that like?
1: Um, as I mentioned, that imposter syndrome really hit hard um, at the beginning, but similarly to when I was teaching uh, classes at my university at Leslie, it was more... it became, became more of a conversation and more of a a, like relaying my experiences in hopes that you know it might shine or shed some light on uh different ways that they can approach something um but also like it opens up a a a dialogue a conversation where we can talk more on a level playing field and help each other because it's a two-way street i'm learning as much from them as they're learning from me Uh, during this talk and this workshop as they're asking questions and like essentially not forcing me but like helping me think about things in a different way but also them relaying their experiences in within the field and how I might be able to use my knowledge to help them in that regard and by doing so I'm taking their experiences and applying it to my my life as well
0: right Now, uh, the one last thing I want to talk about before we start wrapping up here is Mm -hmm. at the awards ceremony, we played a never-before-seen video of Frank Frazetta. Yes. Now, as an artist, I don't know to what degree you respect, admire uh, Frank Frazetta, but tell me what that was like seeing that. Because nobody's ever seen that before. Nobody's ever seen live or seen... uh, color footage of Frank Zappa speaking. There's been other there's been a lot of videos with my air quotes here, you know, with playing a record and audio recording of him as a roll through his art, mm-hmm. but not him mm-hmm. actually sitting down talking to you and getting what he has to say. So what was that like and what did you get out of that? Um that was wild to say the least. Um I I don't even know if
1: I've ever seen his face before that time. Like I've always heard his name i've known his art i've seen his art i've always associated him with the art world and like his work but again as you mentioned like uh it's usually his audio or voice rolled over with other images and so like seeing that color footage and like it it does feel like he's sitting there with Mm -hmm. you talking and like he like he was part of the workshops earlier this week you know um so I, i think that was like very very cool and wild to experience
0: yeah he's uh he's one of those artists that a lot of people have tried to emulate mm-hmm. you know he's definitely just, he's definitely a master well this has been great we've we've like blown through an hour like in <laughs> 10 minutes it seems like it's just i knew it happened but nevertheless it has happened <laughs> so for someone to find you on either social media or on whatever pages, mm-hmm. how, how can they find you?
1: Sure. Um, so, uh, my website is talbotsart.com. So, it's T A L B O T S A R T.com. And similarly on Instagram and Twitter at Talbot's Art, Talbotsart, T A L B O T S A R T. I also have a Patreon. Um, yeah, you can find me uh, on those platforms at Talbotsart.
0: So we just look for the guy that's got this amazing bow tie, <laughs> and we know we got the right Talbot.
1: Yep, the bow tie and the afro.
0: <laughs> okay, good. All right. Well, thank you very much. It's been great being able to talk to you, Michael. And uh, now that we've got you here, I'm looking forward to seeing you much more. Sounds good. Thank you. Yes. And thank you for listening. Subscribe to the Writers of the Future podcast wherever you get your podcasts. The Writers of the Future podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, Pocket Cast, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeart, and Spotify. We've also been syndicated on the United Public Radio Network where you can find these podcasts as well. The Writers of the Future series can be purchased wherever books are sold in the U.S., Canada, the U.K., Australia, and South Africa, and available everywhere else on Amazon. Writers and Illustrators of the Future are contests created by L. Hubbard to provide a means for the aspiring writer and artist to be seen and acknowledged. It is free to enter and open to new and amateur short story writers and artists of science fiction or fantasy. Again, thank you very much, Michael. Thanks for having me.